Laser beams were once the stuff of science fiction, but they're pretty commonplace now. Carbon dioxide lasers are used in medical procedures and manufacturing, but they're only as good as the glass fibres that carry them. Hi, I'm Liz Foskier. Welcome to Tech Now, a podcast about Australian innovations that are shaping the future. Each episode, we chat to great tech thinkers who are changing the world thanks to the Global Connections Fund, a project run by the Australian Academy of Technology and Engineering and supported by the Australian Government. The carbon dioxide laser was one of the earliest gas lasers to be developed. It was invented in 1964 and is ancient by photonics industry standards. But the unique combination of wavelength, power and spectral purity make it still one of the most useful types of laser. They're frequently used in soft tissue surgery and in manufacturing for cutting and welding. Professor Heike Ebendorf Heideprim is Deputy Director at the Institute for Photonics and Advanced Sensing at the University of Adelaide. She's been developing a new type of glass fibre to improve the efficiency of how the laser beams are delivered. Hello, Heike. Hello, Liz. Nice to be here. Where will we see these carbon dioxide lasers in action? So as you mentioned, there are the two main areas. One is advanced manufacturing. For example, CO2 lasers are used for 3D printing of metals. And the other area is laser surgery or medical procedure. For example, skin resurfacing is done with CO2 lasers. I've seen also for some dental operation. And I think the reason is that the tissue absorbs the laser and therefore can be there then easily manipulated in terms of, yeah, the, as I said, the resurfacing of, of skin or also cutting of tissue. And I think also now people looking into, can the CO2 laser be used to fuse skin so that you don't need to stitch it up after an operation? So what's the benefit of a laser beam, say, over any other sort of cutting tool that might be available? It's really the high precision in terms of having a very small size and also the depth. So the CO2 laser only reacts with tissue in a very precise area over small depth. And so any tissue nearby is not affected. How do we currently deliver these beams? How do we capture them and direct them to uh, where they're needed? So there are two methods. One is a free space method so that mirrors are used to steer the beam from the bulky laser to the point of interest. And I think this is the main method in delivering high power, for example, for uh, 3D printing. For uh, laser surgery or medical procedures, what I've seen is they use a simple fiber. The fiber has one large hole and the light is guided through this hole. And it's a lossy mechanism. And also it does not uh, provide a good beam profile for the CO2 laser at the end of the fiber. And so it works, but much more can be done by improving the fiber to improve then the beam quality at uh, the end of the fiber. It's like you use the fiber not only to deliver the laser light, but also to clean it up and to shape the beam. So your institute specializes in photonics. Is that the science of light? Is that what photonics means? 
Correct. That's correct. Mm. And so I guess, are you fascinated by the way people are capturing lasers and the process of dealing with it? Yes, I am. So uh, my passion is optical glass and so optical glass, which is then turned into fiber, either to deliver laser light, like in this project, or to create fibers that are then lasers in themselves. Right. So did you see a way of improving on these conventional glass fibres that are being used currently? So we make unconventional fibres in the sense that our fibres, they have air holes in them. We ask the conventional fibres are solid fibres. These solid fibres, they do a great job, like allowing us to have a, a fast internet. But with air holes, then fibres can do other functionalities. And so this is also where this project comes in. So we de uh, developing fibers where the light is now guided in a small hole. And that means the light is guided in air and not in the glass. And that's important for the CO2 laser because the CO2 laser interacts with glass and heats it up in the end. And therefore, this limits how much power can be transported along the fiber. Now, with having the glass around the air holes, but the light guided in the air, now much higher power of the CO2 laser, for example, can be transported. And how did you come up with this method of producing air holes in glass fibers? This idea was invented in 1995 or 96 by a group in the UK. And what happened to me, so I did my PhD in Germany at an Institute of Glass Chemistry, therefore my passion for glass. I saw that one great application for optical glass are optical fibers. And so when I had an opportunity to apply for a fellowship to go uh, overseas, I decided to go to the Optoelectronics Research Center at the University of Southampton in the UK because they are world leaders in optical fiber uh, development. And so I was successful. I got the fellowship, went over there, and the group there, the fiber fabrication and development group, they really were very strong world leaders in making these so-called microstructured fibers with air holes. And there I learned everything about this fiber type and got very interested about it. And yeah, this was in 2002, 2003. And since then, I'm working with microstructured fibers. That means with the fibers that have tiny air holes running along their lengths. So what did the Global Connections Fund grant allow you to do? So it allowed us to connect to a company in the US and they make so-called chalcogenite glasses. These glasses transmit light at wavelengths that is not possible with the standard glasses like window pane or the glass that is used in the fiber optic cables for internet. So this is an, a fascinating glass because it, it can transport light at different wavelengths, but I'm not making this glass. And so at a conference, I gave a talk how we use the technique of extrusion to make the preforms, which are then stretched down to fibers. And Francois from the company, he was in the audience and he is also using extrusion for 
uh, his glass at his company. And so he was intrigued hearing that we got really a sophisticated method of how to use the extrusion. And so after I gave my talk, we had a chat, we went for dinner. And then it was really how to get some initial funding to build a relationship. And so with the Global Connection Fund, we created five extrusion dies that were successfully used by the company. And so the company could see really that we can collaborate together. We speak the same language. We understand each other. And I'm very happy that a few months ago, end of last year, then we were successful in winning an ARC linkage project to continue the work that we started with the Global Connection Fund. Now, you've talked about these extrusion sort of technology. Tell me a bit about that. How does it work? So you've worked out a way to create air holes in these glass fibres, but what do you mean by extrusion and, and what does that look like? So a fibre is made in two steps from a bulk piece of glass. So if the extrusion is used, we start with a so-called glass cylinder and then uh, the glass is heated up and then squeezed through a metallic structure, which we call extrusion die. And you can picture this as a sophisticated noodle machine. So in the noodle machine, you take the dough and you squeeze it uh, through the nozzle which is simply another term for dye. And so we take the glass, we heat it up, then the glass is soft as a dough and we apply a force onto the glass and we squeeze it through the extrusion dye. And where is a blockage in the flow, that means a blockage in the dye, then the glass can't flow there and leaves a hole behind when the glass emerges from the extrusion dye. And if there are several blockages, then there will be several holes. Now, the glass cylinder we are using has a 30 millimeter diameter and a height of up to 70 millimeter. And then we turn this then into a long rod, can be up to half a meter, with air holes then in the order of millimeter, one or two millimeter. So this long rod with air holes, which has a macroscopic structure, so and the air holes, you can see them with your naked eye. This long rod, we call it preform. We then take this preform and we mount it on a so-called drawing tower. We are now, the glass again is heated up. And then at the bottom, we apply a force to stretch the glass. And so then we stretch the glass down to sub-millimeter scale, 0.1 millimeter, which is the scale of an optical fiber. And so therefore, during this fiber drawing, we go from the preform millimeter scale to the fiber micrometer scale. And we control the process in such a way that we can keep the air holes open so that also the air holes are in the fiber running along the fiber. From a long rod of, for example, let's say 200 millimeter length scale, then we can make fiber up to a half a kilometer. Wow. And you're talking about something that's smaller or, or about the width of a human hair. Is that correct? It's the width of the human hair. Does that make that incredibly fragile? Now, there is a sweet spot in terms of diameter for glass. So it's 0.2 to 0.1 millimeter where the glass is flexible. So depending on the glass type, some glass types, they are so strong, you can almost curl it then around your 
a finger and this is the reason then that we can have the fiber optic cables for the internet. If you go below the 0.1 millimeter, then it becomes too fragile and the fiber breaks. So there's this sweet spot where the glass is sufficiently flexible so that you can use it as a, a fiber without breaking it. So it's a continuous length of fiber. Does this new technology extend the usefulness of carbon dioxide lasers? Will they be able to be used for other applications or, or make them much more useful? Definitely much more useful. So if I think in terms of uh, 3D printing, we have, of course, the precision of the beam size and the beam profile. That means the light intensity across the beam is important for the selective laser sintering. Then this process can be improved, possibly higher um, accuracy in the resolution of the 3D printed parts can be achieved by using the fiber, we call it the holocore fiber, we about to develop. So we made the first prototype in the Global Connection Fund and it's now really to go to the next step of improving, uh, perfecting both the extrusion and the fiber drawing to get to the fiber dimensions quality that is needed in the end also for production scale. So at the moment, these lasers are very useful in, as you mentioned, medical and manufacturing. Does the process that you've developed, does that open up other possibilities, other applications? So the process we develop or the improvement in the extrusion and fiber drawing, that of course can be applied to many other microstructured fibers for different applications. And another application is, for example, of sensing a wide range of projects we have in this area. Or it can be used to develop delivery fibers for different type of lasers. Would they be used, do you think, for, you mentioned fiber optics, could they be used for the NBN, say, for example? There is work going on with holocore fibers to use it for transporting uh, internet signals because one feature of guiding light in air is that uh, the light travels faster. And so there are some consideration to have special lines, in particularly I heard between a stockbroker so that they get their signals faster. So that's an interesting sidebar <laughs> turn, isn't it? You know, you start looking at one area and the application can go completely different. That's excellent. Where do you plan to turn your attention next, Heike? Currently, the extrusion is done mainly as a trial and error process. So what I mean is we design the die and then we extrude the glass and see the air holes, the shape and position of the air holes. Because what's happening is not a perfect one-to-one -one, uh, translation. Because when the glass emerges from the dye, it is still soft to some degree and therefore deformations are happening. And also how the glass is flowing within the dye. And so we built up in the last 10 years a great knowledge, intuition, empirical knowledge how to do it. But it is an expensive process of making a guess 
how the die needs to look like so that we get a preform structure we want to have. And so in the ASC linkage project, what we want to use now is computer modeling and mathematical modeling to model the process of glass flow so that we can sort of virtual do the extrusion. So this is the aim I would like to achieve, to do a virtual extrusion in the computer so that I can design a die, I do the virtual extrusion and see, oh, the die does not work as well as I would like it to work. So I change the die design, do again a virtual extrusion and can in this way perfect or do iterations to achieve the air glass structure I want to have in the preform without using expensive glass. For example, a chalcogenite glass cylinder for extrusion costs in the order of $7,000. So it's expensive. It's very expensive. And so therefore you can imagine if we make it to work to do a virtual extrusion, this would open up so many possibilities. So suddenly we can work on uh, glasses and structures which we really couldn't work on because of resource constraints. So that might lead to less expensive options. It might make things less costly in the future if, if this technology could be employed more widely. Correctly. And I think it it's, uh, will also lead to new structures which we sort of couldn't dream of to develop because they were too complicated. But with a virtual means, then uh, there are much more possibilities. And who knows, maybe uh, design then can also be connected to machine learning, again, to speed up the design of extrusion dies. So this is really my dream for the next few years, maybe five, even 10 years. Who knows? We will see. It's a challenging task to model the glass flow through extrusion dyes. So I've done work with this in collaboration with Professor Yvonne Stokes at Adelaide University. And we are now very happy having the ARC linkage grant so that we have the resources to further work on this exciting area of extrusion modeling. Some light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you very much, Heike, for talking to me. Thank you, Liz. That was Professor Heike Ebendorf Heideprim, one of the recipients of the Global Connections Bridging Grant, part of the Global Innovation Strategy of the National Innovation and Science Agenda. For more stories about world changing innovations, go to atsi.org.au forward slash technow. Thanks for listening.